please turn with me to Galatians chapter 6. And as you're turning there, I wonder if Brad and Susan Evans could come on up. Come on up, Brad. Brad has been uh, serving faithfully at Grace Bible Church for 10 years. 10 years marks his uh, 10-year anniversary. And so uh, we wanted to honor Brad and Susan for uh, working with us and uh, being such great co-laborers and also a great friend. So we've got a little gift for you and applies to both of you. That's why I wanted both of you up here. We have uh, an evening at 7F, dinner, and then uh, extra week of vacation. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yes, <sir. laughs> he can do that. Let me pray for them. Father, we thank you for Brad and Susan. We thank you for their example of walking faithfully with you. We thank you for their example of a godly marriage and uh, the way that they parent and conduct themselves. Father, they are truly an example in this church, an example for this community. Thank you, Father, for giving us them as a gift. It's in Christ's precious name we pray. Amen. Thanks, guys. Thank you. When the world looks in at the church and uh, they think of the really super spiritual people in the church, do you think that they have a really positive connotation to that? What do they think of when they think of the church and the really spiritual people in the church? Is it entirely positive? Probably not, is it? Um, Maybe an idea of people who are aloof or self-righteous or uh, distant. Um, I, again, wanted to visualize this for you because some images came to my own mind. Um, I think maybe of something like this, a monk sitting by himself uh, copying texts from the Bible, and um, you know, ironically, that actually looks like a lot of fun to me, personally. Uh, or maybe, uh, you know, in the Protestant world, they think maybe something more like that, you know, either a long beard or a big hair helmet. One or the other is going to, that's what the church is, and that's spiritual people. Probably doesn't apply to these ladies, because they're way too happy, right? They're having way too much fun. When the church uh, is examined by the world and they think of spiritual, being spiritual generally is cool, but spirituality as it's connected with the church and Jesus Christ, uh, they see the super spiritual as people who are disconnected from reality. They're disconnected from the world as it really is. There's the real world out there and then there's what you guys do at the church on Sundays and Wednesdays and every, every other time you have your potlucks. But that's disconnected from reality. However, if you look at the New Testament, Old Testament as well, those who are saints or those who are spiritual among us are those who are the most connected with God and as a result are the most connected with reality here on earth. They're actually seeing life as it really and truly is because they're not living deceived by the world or deceived by Satan, or deceived even by their own flesh. They're living in truth, and they're living in reality, and the result is they actually have the greatest impact, the greatest influence on the world. As we've moved through the book of Galatians, Paul has moved from uh, historical in his own background into theological and philosophical, and now he is moving into something that's very practical. He's wanting his people to move into true spirituality. And to grow as truly spiritual people. And that's the emphasis in chapters 5 and 6. I want us to continue our reading in chapter 6 and verse 1. Paul says, Brethren, even if any one of you is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. 
each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But each one must examine his own work, and then he will have reason for boasting in regard to himself alone and not in regard to another. For each will bear his own load. The one who is taught the word is to share all good things with the one who teaches him. Do not be deceived, God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. So then, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who are of the household of faith. I want you to read verse 8 with me one more time. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Remember, Galatians is probably the first book that Paul wrote. Later he would write Romans and he would write Philippians and Colossians and these other books uh, in which he would develop more fully his theology of sanctification. But you see the same ideas here. Different terminology, perhaps. In Galatians he talks about sowing to the Spirit. Romans he'll talk about uh, walking according to the Spirit. Philippians he'll talk about having the mindset or the orientation of the Spirit. What he's talking about is living our lives entirely oriented around listening to and following the voice of the Spirit. That's what it means to sow according to or walk according to or have the mindset, the orientation of the Spirit. And for a believer in Jesus Christ, every single day, every single moment, we will orient our hearts and our minds and our entire lives, our activities around listening to and responding to the Spirit or to the flesh. We will make that choice every single day, every single moment of every day. And so Paul has drawn this contrast between those who are carnal or literally fleshly, walking according to, listening to their flesh, absorbed by themselves, or those who listen to the voice of the Spirit. I want us to review, we looked briefly at the carnal description, but I want us to review that again this morning as we get into the spiritual person. Look with me in chapter 5 and verse 19. Paul says, now the deeds of the flesh are evident, and they are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envyings, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. You remember a couple weeks ago we defined the flesh, and the flesh is essentially uh, this uh, bent within us to live independently from God. We can't fix the flesh. We can't reform the flesh. There's nothing we can do. We're stuck with it until we have a resurrection body in which the flesh is removed from our flesh, our physical being. But if we walk according to the flesh and listen to the flesh, things like these, he says, will be the result in our lives. This is what life will look like for us. Now, it's interesting if you look at uh, ancient Greek literature uh, and even ancient Near Eastern literature, there were frequently these lists of virtues and vices, a couple of things that are interesting about this list, I think, is that there's really no pattern. There's no organization. Commentators try to create organization to it, but it's not. There's no organization. It's just this lengthy list. There are 15 things in it. What is interesting to me, though, is that over half of them have to do with relational sin. Okay, let me read it to you again. The deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, 
idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. He says, I'm not done. I could go on and on, but these 15 represent the deeds of the flesh. Over half of them are relational. Because when we're walking according to the flesh, the result is broken relationships. Our relationships don't function right because our spiritual life, indeed our whole life, is worked out in the context of relationships. I remember in college, you know, I hated group projects. And it was this horrible rude awakening to me when I realized life is a group project. Okay? All of it. All of it. Notice his description, chapter 5, verse 15. But if you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. Verse 26, let us not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. Apparently, the big issue practically in the church that was a result of their bad theology, their legalism, was that they were biting and devouring one another. There was constant conflict in this church or in this group of churches. The problems weren't just doctrinal. Doctrinal problems were leading to practical problems in the church. Biting and devouring one another, being consumed by one another. I want you to keep your place here in Galatians and turn back with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1. If the church in Corinth is known for anything, it's known as being probably the most carnal or fleshly or immature church that Paul ever wrote to. That's why they have two letters and they're so long. Right? Chapter 3, verse 1. I, brethren, could not speak to you as spiritual men. Men and women who are in tune with the Spirit of God. Men and women who are listening to the Spirit, responding in obedience to God's Spirit. They're walking in step with the Spirit. I can't speak to you like that. But rather as to men of flesh, that is, infants in Christ. They're in Christ, but they're not growing. I look at you and by now you should be teachers of the word of God. He says, you should know it so well. He writes to the audience in the book of Hebrews, but you're still fleshly, you're still carnal, you're still babies. And when I see babies who've been babies for three, four, five, ten years, something's wrong. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, for you were not yet able to receive it. Indeed, even now you're not able to receive solid food because you're still fleshly. For since there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly? Are you not walking like mere men. There is nothing to distinguish you from the church. Because what is it exactly that distinguishes us or should distinguish us from the world rather? Our relationships with one another. By this will all men know that you are my disciples. How? If you have love for one another. I want you to turn back with me now to book of Galatians chapter 6. Let's read verse 8 one more time. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. That word for corruption uh, literally means uh, rotten. Talked about decaying food or decaying fruit. Rotten. That's what your relationships in your life is going to be like. I don't know um, for you men if you ever lived as a, a bachelor. If you ever had a time when you were living on your own, you weren't married, um, and you had to manage your own refrigerator. I had to do that for quite a while because I got married late. And I remember um, at one point my roommate and I, we were living in Dallas. And uh, we noticed that 
just kind of gradually there was this smell that was overcoming us in our apartment. You know, we're thinking, it's not us. We're okay, you know, we're showering, it's good. You know, so we're kind of, it was just so slow and gradual. We didn't notice it first, but then it was pretty obvious. We couldn't avoid it. So we kind of moved from room to room to room. Finally, we realized, no, it's the kitchen. And we got, no, it's the fridge. But we open it up, oh, you know, I can't find it. So we began just pulling everything out of the fridge. And sure enough, you know how guys do, you just start shoving stuff in. <laughs> and then other stuff just gets shoved to the back, and you've got an accidental science experiment back there. And, and so sure enough, we had the, this, these potatoes that got stuck all the way in the back, and I did not know potatoes could smell like that or look like that, or we weren't even sure exactly at first, what is that? Well, that's literally what the Word is talking about. If you sow to the flesh and you pursue what you want to do independent from God, this is the smell of your life. Very graphic. See, they would have picked up on that, and so we need to as well. This is what your relationships will be like. The one who sows to the flesh reaps rot, reaps corruption. And what is the result? Well, broken relationships within the church, broken relationship or fellowship with the Lord that needs to be restored. That's where he's going in chapter 6. Restore such a one. Why? Because God has stepped in and disciplined Because God does not want our lives to remain like that because we are in Christ. We should smell like we are in Christ. We should reflect and radiate and put off the aroma of Christ as he tells the believers in Corinth. And so he won't allow us to continue down this rotten path. He's going to step in. He's going to intervene. Why? Because we're sons and daughters. If we weren't so precious to him, he wouldn't intervene, right? That's what he says in Hebrews chapter 12. God deals with you as with sons, precious sons. That's why you endure discipline, because God wants to restore you to fellowship. He wants to restore you to fellowship with him and fellowship with other believers. And so discipline, he tells us in the book of Hebrews, is it's a gift from God. It doesn't for the moment seem to be joyful, but afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness, that aroma that smells from our life that is a thing of beauty, that is attractive to others in that process of restoration. So God disciplines us. Why? Because he wants to make us spiritual people. Not like, not like the images we might have in our minds or the world might have in its mind of the church. But truly spiritual people are the most attractive to be around. So what do they look like? Look at me again, chapter 6, verse 1. Brethren, even if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual. He gives a description of this, and we read it once before, but I'd like for us to read it again. What does it mean to be spiritual? What does it look like? Chapter 5, verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. The character of those who are truly spiritual, you'll notice, is not uh, this long list of commands. Have a quiet time in the morning for an hour and a half. Pray this length of time. Memorize these verses. Give to this charity. It's not a list of things to do. It's, it's, it's a character description. It's love, it's joy, it's peace, it's patience, it's kindness. It is the result of walking in step 
with the Spirit. These things naturally occur in your life. This is a biblical principle, Old Testament, New Testament. Paul didn't invent it. I want to illustrate it for you from the Old Testament. Turn with me to Psalm chapter 1. Psalm chapter 1, verse 1. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. That is, how blessed is the man who doesn't live with people who are consumed by their flesh. That person is blessed. But instead, his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season. And its leaf does not wither, and in whatever he does, he prospers. Why? Because he has dug deep. He's right by that stream, and so he is continuously drawing from the truth of the word of God and the body of Christ. He's drawing from these things, and the result is fruit that reflects the very nature and character of God. How do we do that? Isn't that the question that really grabs us? How how do we do that? How do we do it in a way that is not consumed by legalism and lists of rules and measuring ourselves according to external standards? How do we do that? Let's turn back again to Galatians chapter 5, verse 24. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Notice the tense of the verb. He says, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. He's talking about basically the same imagery that we were trying to portray in baptism this morning. The moment that you believe Jesus Christ, you are identified with Jesus Christ. In death, and that is a death to the power and the hold of sin on your life. It is a death to the penalty, but also the power. You don't have to respond in obedience to sin any longer because you've been identified with the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 6, he'll put it like this. We no longer sin, we are no longer in sin. We don't try to get more grace. We can't make God love us more by going out and sinning. The fact is we're not in sin any longer. That is, we have a new identity. We are now in Jesus Christ. Therefore, behave consistently with this new identity of being in Christ because you don't have a necessary obligation to respond to your flesh. You don't have to. And as Paul outlines it in Romans 6, and we'll look at that in just a moment, it starts with this. You need to know this as a fact. You can now choose to listen to the voice of the Spirit because God's Spirit dwells inside of you. Before, you only really had one voice speaking to you, and that was the voice of of flesh. You could only live independently from God, and sometimes it might look very good to the world. There are a lot of people who aren't believers in Jesus Christ who live very moral lives. It can look very good, but why is it? It's, It's for self. And that's the only voice you can look, listen to. Or you could listen to the voice of immorality and pursue immorality. And maybe just try and cover it all up so you don't get in trouble for it or don't get caught. But that's, there's only one voice. It's the flesh. Now, there are two voices. And that's what makes living the Christian life so incredibly, very challenging. We are always at warfare, as we said two weeks ago. These two voices are always speaking But now we do have a second voice that we can listen to because we are in 
Christ. And so Paul's exhortation in Romans is first know it. Okay? First know that you are in Christ. Turn with me to Romans 6. Let's look at the rest of his outline. Starting in verse 6, chapter 6, verse 6. Actually, let's start in verse 5. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, that is spiritual baptism or the baptism of the Spirit, being united with Christ in his death, certainly also we will be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin, okay, the, the current physical body that has the indwelling principle of sin or the flesh, might, no, might be done away with or literally rendered inoperative so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. We don't have to be slaves to sin, he's saying, because we are now in Christ. Know this to be true. And for a lot of believers in Jesus Christ, they don't even know that this is the case. Okay? But this isn't the ending point, just knowing that you're in Christ. He goes on. Verse 7. For he who has died is freed from sin. You don't have to respond in obedience. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again, death is no longer master over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once and for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Verse 11. Consider or reckon it to be so. Know it. Reckon it. To reckon means to account it as true. It's an accounting term. Put it in the column of your assets that you are in Jesus Christ, even if you don't feel like it. Even if you don't feel like you have a choice when temptation comes, it is true, you know it, reckon it to be so, that is, step out in faith. This is the spiritual life. Know it to be true. Reckon it. Step out in faith. Even when temptation is assailing you and it feels as if you have no choice, you do, in fact, have a choice. Satan's lying to you. Reckon it to be so. Count it as so. Trust in it. Maybe you've heard the the old illustration of how elephants are trained for the circus. It's a great illustration. They get elephants not when they're grown. They get them when they're babies. And when they're babies, they put a shackle around one of their back legs. And then they drive a stake into the ground with a chain between the stake and the shackle. And the elephant, baby elephant, cannot pull it loose. And the baby elephant learns that it cannot pull that stake loose. And as it grows and it grows and it grows, and it's an enormous animal, it now has the capacity to rip that stake out of the ground like that. But it's been trained, it's been conditioned to say, I can't, there's a shackle on my foot. I can't move. And the same thing is true of us. We've been conditioned to say to ourselves when temptation comes, I don't have a choice, and I give in. Reckoning means realizing you're a big elephant. Spiritually speaking, of course, you're strong. Yank it out. Say, no, I don't have to respond any longer in obedience to sin because I'm in Christ. I have been changed. Know it to be true. Reckon it as such. Third principle, verse 12. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lusts. And do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments or weapons of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness. For sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under law, but you are under grace, and grace is empowering. 
Because you are unconditionally loved and accepted by Jesus Christ, that is power. So now present yourselves to the Spirit. Do you think that these Roman believers were struggling with sin when Paul wrote to them? Yeah. It didn't mean that they were not believers, but they were really, really struggling with sin. Notice what he says here, verse 13. Do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as weapons of unrighteousness, which implies what? They are, in fact, presenting the members of their body to sin as weapons of unrighteousness. And so he says, stop that because you don't have to. Now, what is the solution? It is to present yourself to the Spirit. Present yourself to the Spirit. How do you present yourself to the Spirit? You create habits in your life that make yourself constantly accessible to the Spirit and that keep your heart soft to listen to the Spirit rather than resist the Spirit. I'm not telling you have a quiet time every morning at 6 a.m. for an hour and a half. It doesn't matter to me. What does matter to me is that you have time listening to the voice of the Spirit. Because if you don't, you're not presenting yourself to the Spirit. So you need to have time where you're listening. And, And I mean actively listening to the voice of God from his word. A couple weeks ago, I gave you an illustration. President of a large theological seminary is an atheist. He knows theology and he knows the Bible way better than we do. He probably spends more time reading the word, but it is not united in with faith and trust and confidence and submission to God. So it doesn't profit in his life at all. You and I can do the same thing. We can have the whole thing memorized. We can quote it and we can impress people. The issue is not even how much time you spend in it. The issue is the receptivity of your heart. You're in the word and you're listening receptively. And you're meditating and you're memorizing and you're pouring your heart back out to the Lord and you're saying to him as you come to his word, thy will be done. Thy will be done. Not my will, but your will be done. Not the voice of the flesh, but the voice of the spirit. And you're listening and you're presenting yourself to the Spirit. So probably one of the greatest steps for each of us to take this week would be to examine how am I possibly presenting myself to the flesh? And how can I turn that and begin to present myself to the Spirit? Know it's true. You are united with Christ. Reckon it as such. Trust it and step out in faith. You don't have to listen to the voice of the flesh and sin. Present yourself continuously, morning, noon, and night, throughout the day. Learn how to be people who are oriented to the voice of the Spirit, even as you are at work. Put a card in your pocket that reminds you, thy will be done. It just orients your mind, that reminds you of these relationships around me. These are sanctifying. They're trying, aren't they? But they're sanctifying. That's orienting toward the Spirit. I'm seeing this not just as an annoyance, but an opportunity for me to be sanctified, maybe for that person to trust Christ. I'm orienting my mind around the things of the Spirit. Know, reckon, present. And then a fourth principle that's throughout Paul's work is belong. Belong. Turn back with me to Galatians again. Chapter 5. Verse 13. 
For you were called to freedom, brethren, only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh. But here's freedom. Through love, serve one another. Verse 22, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. I hope you noticed that not only were most of the deeds of the flesh relationally oriented, the fruit of the Spirit is also relationally oriented. Your spiritual life is worked out in the context of relationship. The trials that come into your life will come primarily in the context of interpersonal relationships. Even when you think, well, this is a trial, it's just all me, it's all me, you know, it's uh, my health is struck down. Well, there are people around you, aren't they? Are there, that, that they're affected by that. They're affected by your response to this trial and your graciousness and your kindness, and sometimes they're not merciful to you. And all, every trial, every sanctifying work in your life, it's really worked out in the context of relationships. You need time where it is just you and the Lord, but then you step out of that time of you and the Lord and you step into this world of group projects right? That's where it all happens. That's why the deeds of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit are all tied so much to other people. And Paul says that the spiritual life then needs to be worked out. Remember, he's he's moved from theological and philosophical into practical. The spiritual life has to be worked out in very concrete ways in the context of the body of Christ, okay, or relationships. Look again with me in chapter 6. Verse 1, brethren, even if any one of you is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself, so that you too will not be tempted. For those who are spiritual, what are they involved in? Again, I'm not giving you a to-do list, but what are people who are spiritual involved in? What they're involved in is they're involved in reconciling people back to God and reconciling people back to one another. They are Peacemakers, blessed are the peacemakers. They're bringing people back together. This is a very uh, great visual uh, image here. If you remember in verse 25, chapter 5, he says, If we live by the Spirit, let us also literally keep in step with the Spirit. And then in verse 1 of chapter 6, he says, If anyone is caught in any trespass, literally, if anyone is caught in any misstep. Okay, that's a specific word for sin. So the person is walking. According to the Spirit, they're keeping in step with the Spirit. They're, they're in that dance where they're listening to the voice of the Spirit. Spirit's leading, and then they decide, oh, I'm going to step out of that. You who are spiritual, help get them back in step with the Spirit. See, for the Judaizers, they had a different solution. They were looking at the pro- same problems in the church of Galatia. They saw uh, this, this uh, libertinism. They saw immorality. They, say, they saw strife and tension, all these things. And they came into these churches and they said, you know, the solution here is more law. Okay, you're walking in step with the Spirit and you see the sign that says no trespassing. And this word for sin means trespass. You step over a known boundary. Hey, no trespassing. It's got to be some fun behind that. But let me go there, Right? And the Judaizers came along and they said, see, that no trespassing sign didn't work. What we need is a bigger sign or a lot more signs. More law. That's the solution. And Paul says, no, the solution to that misstep is unconditional love from the body of Christ. Not love without consequences, right? 
Because this person needs to be restored. They're outside of fellowship. There is consequence. But what normally happens when a believer within the church sins, what do we, we do? We go, whoa. And you say, no, you who are spiritual go after that person. You're not denying that there are consequences, but you go after them and you try to pull them back in. Being wise, look to yourself lest you too be tempted. Because no one is beyond temptation. No one is beyond the allure of the flesh. So constantly be looking to yourself. But you who are spiritual, go after those people. And it doesn't mean you who are super mature. It means you who are listening to the voice of the Spirit. Be those who restore people to fellowship with God. Because that's what God does. Okay, That's God-like. That's what God did for us. That's what God did for you. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, he came after you. And so it's God-like when you'd go and you do the same. Second activity that we see, chapter 6, verse 2, he says, bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. Bear one another's burdens. What does that mean? Well, the burdens might be physical, the burdens might be emotional, the burdens might be spiritual. But you come alongside those people and you give of maybe your time, maybe you give of emotional energy, maybe you give of money, you give financially. Maybe you can't take away that burden, but maybe you can just walk with them and let them know they're not walking by themselves. This last week I've been walking with a family that's they're really having some tough times, they're struggling. And uh, Friday night I was I was up. I just I could not sleep. Why? Because God had put a burden for them on my heart. And I thought, dang, wish I wasn't preaching Galatians 6, verse 2. Because as soon as you preach it, man, you've got to apply it. And I can't get them off of my mind. So I'm walking and I'm pacing and I'm praying and I'm thinking, God, please produce a miracle in the life of this family. I'm, I'm bearing their burden. I'm letting them know I'm praying for you. And I'm up at night thinking about you. I'm not wanting you to pay me back, but just let me know. Let, I want you to know that I have so much concern for you, I can't get you off of my mind. I'm praying for you and I'm concerned for you. Maybe sometimes the, the burden is physical. Remember this last summer, there's a, a young man who comes and he mows our lawn periodically. And uh, this last summer, we were trying to get out of town and um, we had all kinds of stuff going on. I, I think that our kids were sick again. You know, There's just, just all this stuff going on. And my lawn looked like a disaster. And I got up Saturday morning. I look out the window, and there was not just this young man who usually mows our lawn, but his whole family out there mowing our lawn, serving us. And I can't tell you how much that ministered to me because I, I wanted my lawn mowed before I had to leave town. And just, I didn't want to leave this disaster. I never win Yard of the Month Club, but I didn't want to leave a disaster. And there they were serving me. Bear one another's burdens and thus fulfill the law of Christ. You want to fulfill the law? You give to others. Because that's like God. That's what he does. Without condition. Okay, not expecting something in return. Remember what freedom is? Freedom is not being consumed with myself. I can get over myself and stop worrying about myself. I'm not consumed with my flesh. So the result is I can give. And that is true freedom. And that's like God. Psalm chapter 68 verse 19 said, Blessed be the Lord who daily bears our burdens, the God who is our salvation. Can you imagine that? That right now you are on God's mind. Isn't that a beautiful thing? 
Right now, God is, is thinking about you and he's thinking about the issues and the cares and the concerns and the temptations. You are on God's mind right now. Blessed be our God. May he be praised who daily bears our burdens and never forgets about us. And he never moves on past us. What are the activities of spiritual people? They're restorers because God's a restorer. Uh, They are burden bearers because God bears our burdens. And there's a blessing for those who are spiritual. Look with me in chapter 6, verse 8. It says, For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. The reaping that he's talking about is reward. And the eternal life that he's talking about there is not life sometime out in the future. It is life that's characteristic of eternity. It's heavenly life. It's what you can experience right now. It is the fruit of the Spirit. And there's also a reaping that we'll see when we're standing before the Lord someday and he's looking at our lives. Did we walk according to the Spirit? Did we listen to the voice of the Spirit? Did we sow according to the Spirit? It shouldn't surprise us that God rewards that. Now again, you can't, through sowing to the Spirit, make God love you more. But you can really bring pleasure to the heart of God. It brings pleasure to the heart of God when we're listening to His Spirit. And He rewards that. The evaluation of Jesus Christ, the judgment seat of Christ, we will each one individually be rewarded. Did you listen to the voice of the Spirit? Now notice with me, chapter 6, verse 3, he says, If anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. What he's saying there is, there is a possibility that you would evaluate your life and others' lives inaccurately. Because we look at things as they are externally. We look at the person who's giving the most money rather than, as Christ illustrated, the person who's giving out of poverty. Remember the widow's might? Self-righteous comes in and gives lots, sounds the trumpet, look at me. The widow comes in meekly and mildly, drops in two coins. Jesus says, who gave more? Heaven's economy, right? Heaven's evaluation. He doesn't need your big money. He needs your heart. How does he evaluate? What does he look for? Chapter 6, verse 10. So then, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who are of the household of faith. While we have opportunity... What are the opportunities given to you? I'm not going to be evaluated based upon the opportunities that have been given to Jay. And Jay's not going to be given based upon the opportunities that have been given to me. Paul didn't have to be jealous of Peter's ministry because he wouldn't be evaluated based upon Peter's ministry. He'd be evaluated based upon the opportunities that God gave to him. God has given you absolutely, perfectly unique. We overuse the word unique, don't we? Now this is, I mean, really unique. Like, really, really unique. Perfectly unique meaning only you, you alone have opportunities that only you can listen to the voice of the Spirit and serve accordingly and love. Just your opportunities. Have you been faithful to those? Have you been faithful to those? And again, God is not evaluating you based upon the outcome or the result, just were you faithful to the opportunities. Parents, You cannot control how your children will turn out. You don't have control over that. What do you do? 
You love your children. You love them unconditionally. You make sure they know they're loved unconditionally. I will always love you. I will always be loyal to you and faithful to you. Now, here are the boundaries in our house. I'm going to try and be consistent with those boundaries. I'm going to try and set those boundaries reasonably. And I try to make sure you know that you are unconditionally loved, not just within the boundaries, but even when you step outside the boundaries, you are still loved. There may be consequences, but I love you. And you try to raise them in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord, and they make your choices. And what are you responsible for? The input, faithfulness, what God has called you to do with your children, and then they're going to make choices. You're not responsible for those outcomes. God doesn't evaluate you on those things. You can't make someone trust Jesus Christ. You're not responsible for people believing in Christ. Isn't that nice to know? You, you are not responsible for that. You are responsible when an opportunity comes that you love in deed and in word by sharing the love and the truth of Christ with that person as God gives you opportunity and trust him for the outcome. You can't make people grow in Christ. You can't make people stop a certain sin and pursue Jesus Christ. You may have a group of men or women or or a home church that you're involved in and you see issues and you're really trying to redirect. Well, you know what? You do not have control over that. You have control over encouraging and exhorting and admonishing and teaching and you do all of those things in the context of unconditional love and pray and pray and pray and God rewards your faithfulness to that but not the outcomes. And this is the picture that he gives of people who are really, truly free. Those who are spiritual, you who are spiritual, meaning you who are walking according to the voice of the Spirit, you're listening to God's Spirit and you're responding to the opportunities that he gives you in faithfulness. How do we apply this? Let me give you just one uh, application this morning. Actually, I'm going to give you two. Okay, here's the first one. What will you do to start or, in the words of uh, 1 Thessalonians, excel still more? Orienting your life totally around the Spirit of God, listening to his voice. Or maybe uh, it might be you need to think about what are the influences of the flesh that I need to stop allowing into my life. Okay, That's what I really want you to focus on this week. Now, second. I would like for you to think through, what do we miss in our study of Galatians? Uh, if you would do me a favor, read back through the book of Galatians this week. And if there's something that you feel like we didn't cover or it remains a little confusing, uh, you can send me an email this week and your email issue or question or concern may make it into next week's sermon. I'm going to wrap up the whole book of Galatians. And so this is a chance for you to say, hey, can we talk a little bit more about that this week before we wrap up this thing and close it out? Okay. So you could do me a favor um, and reduce my workload, and I'll just answer your questions. Now, I, I got my agenda too, right, uh, of what I want to talk about, what I want to synthesize, but I really would like to, to respond to that. Now, but for this week, let's think through this whole idea of how, how do we keep in step and listen to the voice of the Spirit, okay? Let's pray. Father, I thank you that your Spirit does speak to us. And in many ways, your spirit speaks sometimes through your words, sometimes through the impressions you place on our minds, sometimes through other believers that are surrounding us. Father, I thank you that you've given us of your spirit and you've given us a capacity to listen to your spirit. I pray, Father, that you would give us the courage to tune in. And Father, I pray that you give us the wisdom to put off the influences of flesh on us that bring corruption into our lives. 
I pray, Father, for this church, for this body of believers, that we would continue to emit the aroma, the sweet aroma of Jesus Christ to this community. It's in Christ's precious name we pray. Amen. God bless you. We'll see you next week.